1: Jesus did life with they made no sense on paper they made no sense in life they were across a political spectrum they were across socioeconomic groups and yet he called them friends when we look at the early church and we see churches like in Antioch where their leadership not just their mission but their leadership was a group of people of different ethnicities different socioeconomic groups leading together as equals When we think of our faith communities, what does it look like for us to show hospitality? I wonder who the other is, who your other is, who's the alien to you.
0: Welcome to this week's Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons on Faith Radio. I'm Paul Perot, and today we're going to get back to basics, things that are basic to our Christian life and our witness to the world. You just heard the voice of Joe Saxton a few moments ago. We'll hear from her later. Earlier this month was the National Day of Prayer. Now, regardless of whether you are part of any of the prayer activities, we do hope you take prayer as an important part of your life very seriously. Gabe, as we start today's show although we haven't extensively talked about prayer on Q ideas it's not something we've ignored either
3: prayer is such a foundational concept right it's a foundational um practice that has always undergirded the christian church um it it reminds us that there's a supernatural that it isn't just what we're seeing in front of us, but there's much more going on that we need to be paying attention to and that Christ invites us into this relationship with him. But when we pray, it's, it's not just simple. I mean, it's a labor. And so we invited this past year to have Demas Salabarios, and he's the founder and pastor of Infinity Bible Church in New York City, best-selling memoir called Street God. He tells the story of his own life, selling drugs, being in prison, but ultimately being saved by God. And he currently is the president of Concerts of Prayer Greater New York. And this is amazing in New York City, all these pastors and organizations coming together uh, across denominations, ethnicity, economic lines to pray together. And the entire ministry is built on prayer. And so we asked Dimas to talk to us about prayer and how prayer is not just this simple thing we offer up before a meal or maybe three minutes in the morning, but you're going to hear from somebody who labors in prayer, who spends hours daily in prayer. And what is that doing for his life? How can we be inspired by that? And so let's listen in now. As Demas educates us on the labor of prayer.
4: And what I want to talk about today is the labor of prayer. When you think of the word labor, it comes from the word work. And what labor means is to physically or mentally uh, do an activity that brings forth an outcome result. And when I think about prayer, I've always known that prayer was hard. I've always known that prayer was tough. Most people that I meet, even those that are Excellent in prayer, you'll find that there's a humility upon them that they always feel that they could do more. And I, I agree with them in that concept that there's always more that we can do. One of the things that brings a pleasure to my heart is when you study some of the fathers of our faith. One is John Wesley, where he says, God will do nothing but in the answer to prayer. He says, God will do nothing. But in the answer to prayer, John is emphasizing to us all the importance of taking the time to pray. One of the greatest examples to me in the Bible is Daniel. I mean, you remember the story of Daniel. Daniel prayed 21 days in Daniel chapter 10 because he needed an answer from God. And the angel came down and told him, your answer in in verse 12 in Daniel 10 said, your answer was heard from the very first day. But I met resistance in the air that I had to battle before coming down to earth to deliver this message to you. Then the angel said, I must take off and help Michael because he's frightened the prince of Persia and the prince of, of, of Greece as well. What Daniel was showing us that our offense, and it's a little complicated, but there's something to that when we pray and we're going in after God, that it does something in the heavenlies. I love the way the apostle Paul put it when he said in uh, Ephesians chapter 6 and 12, he said, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but But against rulers, authorities, cosmic powers and present darkness in the ESV. He was pointing out to us that our battle goes on and it's not just between the little people here on this earth, but we're battling in the spirit realm. And if we want to see success in our ministries, want to see growth in our ministries, we got to go further than what we're seeing today. You know, we have no shortage of people That have a gift of preaching today. We have no shortage of people that know how to set forth strategy. And what most people that have ministries in the hundreds of thousands. Yes, in the hundreds of thousands from overseas. When they, 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 they tell me when they come into the U.S., And they start to have a dialogue about how their ministry grew and flourished. They said people in the U.S. turn their ear when they start talking about the prayer efforts, but they turn on their ears when it's time to hear about the strategy. And they said that saddens them because they know that it's not their efforts. It's not their preaching. It's not their organizational gifts, but they will point to the power of God. And I want to compel you and challenge you today to increase your prayer life so it can be even that of the model of the New Testament church. All over the New Testament church, all you have to do is glance through the scriptures. You see examples of the hour of prayer, which the disciples talked about. And most historians would point to and scholars would say that in the New Testament, they prayed for our prayer that was in the morning and they'd have a prayer that was around three o'clock in the afternoon. Because that was when the Romans would ring their bell to change of the guard. And that's when disciples and Christians would take that time to that bell, the signal for everyone to come together for about 45 minutes to pray in about 45 minutes earlier that day. So about an hour and a half is what the New Testament would do in prayer. And we would be challenged right now, many of us as leaders, by the disciples on the lack of prayer that we're doing daily. And the truth is, let me tell you, I was oriented. My my spiritual formation was in prayer. Three women laid hands and prayed for me and the power of God knocked me to the floor. Yes, this tall I fell to the floor, hit the ground. And when I got up, I felt the presence of God. I repented of my sins and I accepted Jesus in my life. But at that time, unfortunately, I was an illegal pharmaceutical dealer, meaning I was selling drugs. And I was running a drug empire and I was facing time in jail. And I went into the jail and me and this Latino brother, we got on our knees and we prayed. He knew no English and I knew no Spanish. And we would pray together for an hour. And when people would press in and humble themselves and say, would you pray for me before going to court? We had a 100 percent record of God showing up in his success where people were released From those prisons and were free because they submitted themselves to Christ in prayer. This blew people away. One time, God's wanted to fight over the bed next to us. And we said, it's not the bed. It's the power in the prayer of Jesus Christ that's bringing this forth. But we have to make a decision and be willing to labor in prayer, be willing to fight this fight. And the reason it's tough is because we're doing something in the invisible, but we want to see things in this tangible world. And I love the way John Calvin put it. He said, prayer digs up the treasure. And I'm telling you, Calvin had it right. Um, When you think of some of the great movements of prayer and you think of John Wesley, his mother, he said he saw his mother laboring in prayer. She would throw an apron over her head and she would cry out to God over that time. And all the kids knew when that apron was over her head, do not disturb her because she's seeking after Christ in prayer. I want to challenge you today. Prayer answers all things. I prayed for two hours a day. Tim Keller became the mentor in my life before you knew him as this great preacher today. I prayed because I wanted to share my testimony. Billy Graham selected me over thousands of people here in New York to share his testimony. And lastly, one time a hitman caught up to me, put a trigger to my head to kill me after I just accepted Christ and I just said Lord I will give you my life and every time he pulled the trigger snap, 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 snap by the power of Jesus and the prayers of my mother and the prayers of the saints no bullets came out of that gun so I want to challenge you seek after God wholeheartedly in your prayers and follow him faithfully all the days of your life
3: well, I hope that was encouraging, inspiring for you as you think about prayer. And, and maybe you, you're intimidated. You're like, I can't do what Demas does. But I tell you what, we can all take steps. We can all be part of that journey of moving towards our prayer life becoming such an essential of our life. We don't see it as an afterthought, but we see it as critical, essential to everyday activity, conversations, decisions that we're making. And we invite Christ into the everyday moment.
0: Right. Absolutely. Well, this is Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons. Remember that talk with Demos Salabarios and many others are available to you as a Q Media subscriber at QIdeas.org. Talks from our Q conferences and virtual events, curated podcasts, movies, and other exclusive content to help you stay curious, think well, and advance good. In fact, many of our top talks are organized into helpful playlists, playlists like mental health, technology, politics, sexuality, even spiritual practices, which we're focusing on this week. That playlist includes talks not only on prayer, but also on the importance of Sabbath, discipleship, revival, and having a daily liturgy. And again, that's just one of the helpful playlists at the Q Media platform. Individual and group rates are available. To learn more and subscribe, visit qideas.org. As we continue talking about some Christian basics this week, we want to shift gears and talk about hospitality. Now, as the pandemic is winding down, maybe you're looking forward to traveling more, staying at hotels and resorts, or going out to more restaurants and theaters. When people think about hospitality, oftentimes they think about such businesses. However, Gabe, within the Christian faith, hospitality historically has been considered a key practice or virtue
3: and this virtue of hospitality is something we see throughout Scripture. It's something any group of Christians has been called to do, is to bring hospitality to strangers. I was reading in First Timothy 5 just yesterday about this concept, how it's describing the role of the church. It's talking about uh, the, the character of women in the community, and one of the measures of the character of the women in the community was that they were hospitable and would welcome believers into their homes and would help take care of them as they were traveling. And so One of the things we can learn, not only from church history, but even history itself, is this value of hospitality, that the communities of God that have been hospitable are the ones that win converts. It's as simple as that. And if another group of people are more hospitable, they're likely going to win people to their way of thinking, because there's something that happens when we practice all of the ideas that we talk about, when we put them into practice, when we truly serve and love others. And so today, Joe Saxton... You're going to hear a talk that she gave two years ago called the gift of hospitality. This was pre COVID. There was no idea that any pandemic was on the rise and you're going to hear the prophetic nature of what she's talking about when she describes how historically the church responded, even in Rome, when there were plagues, I think you're going to be encouraged by it, especially during a season where people are getting back into hospitality, but trying to do that in a way that's very sensitive to the current government restrictions and the way in which a lot of people are fearful of connecting and coming together She's going to give you inspiration about how do we think about that? We don't have the opportunity to just step back. We have to continue to step in. Maybe we have to be more creative about how we do it, but let's be the kind of people that are hospitable. So let's listen now to Joe Saxton on the gift of hospitality.
1: So when you think of hospitality, what comes to your mind? I wonder if you think of a hotel and the room service and the luxury or I wonder if you think of times when people have come to your home to your space and the pressure you felt to perform for them in some kind of a way when I think of hospitality I think of my family I think of a home where the pot was always full to overflowing with food where neighbors and friends were coming by people who became our family because we're all immigrants working out our way in the world sometimes it was great other times it was really uncomfortable but that's what hospitality meant to me. What I want us to think about is not just these expressions of hospitality, because that's all I'm referring to really, the expressions. I want us to think of the definition of the word, because I believe if we understand the definition of hospitality, it'll challenge us, it'll stretch us. We'll realize it's richer, more inspiring, and a lot more sacrificial than we'd first imagined. In the New Testament, the word for hospitality is phylo-nexia. Now, I may have pronounced that wrong, but I'm not kind of down with ancient Greek pronunciation too often. But what it means is a combination of two words. The first, philo or philo, which refers to brotherly love, friendship. It kind of conjures up affection. And most importantly, it refers to seeing the other person as an equal. The other part of the word, xenos, refers to the stranger, the other the foreigner. The definition of hospitality is a love, a friendship, viewing someone as an equal, but a love directed towards the other, the stranger, the foreigner. And interestingly, when we see it occur in the Bible, it's not as an optional extra. Honestly, it's not really described as a gift. It's an instruction to faith communities it's an instruction to leaders and influencers. So three thoughts that I'd love to get you to think about and ponder, and to take personally when you think of the implications of hospitality for your world. The first thought is this, hospitality towards one another. In First Peter chapter 4, verse 9, it says, Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling, without grumbling. When we look at who Jesus did life with, they made no sense on paper, they made no sense in life. They were across a political spectrum, they were across socioeconomic groups, and yet he called them friends. When we look at the early church and we see churches like in Antioch where their leadership, not just their mission, but their leadership was a group of people of different ethnicities, different socioeconomic groups leading together as equals. When we think of our faith communities, what does it look like for us to show hospitality? I wonder who the other is, who your other is, who's the alien to you. Is it someone of a different ethnicity? Someone of a different background to you? Is it someone differently able to you? I wonder if your other is someone who would vote differently from you, who would think of theological essentials in a different way to you. Now, you can have them round for a meal. You can have them at your table. You might even donate in their direction. But will you see them as an equal? Will you see them with, with affection, like family, like a true friend? I think our challenge that Peter said then and rings to us now is whether we can show one another true hospitality, but hospitality goes beyond that. It's also hospitality beyond the church's walls, beyond the safe spaces. And so to the Hebrew church, these words were given, do not forget to show hospitality to strangers, for by doing so, some people have entertained entertained angels without knowing it. Now forget the angel bit for a moment. Think of the stranger again. The Hebrew church were under pressure. They weren't loved. They were dealing with tough times. And yet, even in the midst of a time when they could have pulled in and hidden away, the challenge was still go outwards. The challenge was still to show hospitality to a stranger, to someone not like you, to the other, to the alien, to the foreigner. And actually, it was a habit of the New Testament church. It was a habit of the church in its first centuries, In his book, The Rise of Christianity by Rodney Stark, he accounts the times when the church, the early church, would stick around when there was a plague in Rome. Even though others were fleeing for their own safety to protect their own lives, the church stayed, and they would love and tend to those who were sick and dying. Even if it was great risk to them, even if it cost them their own very lives, because as far as they were concerned, this life was a prelude to eternity. They weren't afraid of the other. They weren't afraid of the foreigner. They weren't afraid of what would happen to them. So they didn't need to pull away. They ran towards. I wonder for you and I today, as we think of our context and our world, what does it look like for us to show love to the stranger, to show love to the alien, to show love to the other? and what does it look like to show that love knowing that that person is an equal made in the image of god with potential with beauty with worth with value with purpose then the last thought i want to get us to consider is one other place where we see hospitality pop up a few times one other kind of group and it's to leaders and influencers you see, in First Timothy and in Titus, when Paul is describing the qualifications for leadership, the values that we should seek out and we should look for when we're looking for leaders, both times he, reckon, he recommends that they're people who are hospitable, people who love the other, the alien, the foreigner, love as family, love as brothers, love as an equal. And on one level, it shouldn't be that much of a surprise because when we look at the life of Jesus, we see somebody who called Zacchaeus, the enemy of the people, down from a tree and said, hey, I'm going to have dinner with you today. We shouldn't be surprised because we see a Jesus who touches a leper and doesn't care about whether it makes him unclean. We see a Jesus who has at his table or goes to the table of people who are deemed as sinners and he shows them acceptance and welcome, we see that he doesn't care about his reputation. He doesn't need to protect what he's got. He needs to show what love looks like. And I wonder what it could look, for, look like for us. Yes, in our churches, but in our places of work, in our cubicles, in, our, in everything we are and do. One of my favorite examples of this is actually at my kids' school in their elementary school. Every year, the principal of the school would um, send a letter out to the parents and to the kids telling us all the different countries kids were coming from and saying, this is a wonderful opportunity to welcome people and to celebrate who they are and what they're going to bring to our school. Then in the first assembly of the year, he'd get all the new kids to rise from all the different nations and they would get a round of applause. It was a way of welcoming them, of saying that they had value, to saying that they were contributing and that they were friends. They were new friends. They were lasting friends. In our time and in our day, there's so much we can disagree on and we may continue to. But I would ask us to consider to take this unfashionable word, this unfashionable phrase, and take it personally. Take it personally on how you do family. Take it personally on how you do friendship. Take it personally on how you treat the other. And if you don't know someone who's your other, it's time. It's time to make friends beyond your walls, beyond your race, beyond your economic group, beyond your world, beyond your comfort zone, beyond all that's made you you. And to offer it freely. Yes, it's an instruction. Yes, it's an opportunity. But honestly, if we do this, it's a gift too. Thank you.
3: I just love that talk, this particular moment where she says the early church would stick around when there was a plague in Rome. Even though others were fleeing for their own safety to protect their own lives, the church stayed, and they would love and tend to those who were sick and dying, even if it was great risk to them, even if it cost them their very lives, because as far as they were concerned... This life was a prelude to eternity. What a convicting statement. I think in a season where so many people are concerned with their own death and life, and there's a lot of fear around death, we as Christians cannot carry that fear. We don't have that opportunity. We're, we're called to not fear death. That's one of the great advantages we have in this life, to live with courage, to live with conviction and boldness, and never to fear death. And so in a season where so many people have that fear, I hope you take inspiration today that we will be the people that aren't fearful of death. We'll be the ones that walk forward. We'll be the ones that help people re enter, that help them remember the value of human relationship and the needs we have to come together and how that not only nurtures our soul but it's essential to how we build community and how we have a flourishing life.
0: Hospitality, again, one of the key virtues or practices of the church that many are rediscovering and applying, especially in this increasingly post-COVID world. Now, maybe you're saying, what? One of the virtues or practices? Yes. Again, on the Q Media platform at QIdeas.org, I urge you check out a series of talks featuring Greg Thompson, who we've heard recently on the show. Early in the history of Q, Greg did a series of talks called The Six Practices of the Church, Certain Key Ways the Church Saw Themselves and Expressed It to the World. We featured that series before on the show. Hospitality was the fifth of the six practices. In fact, here's a clip of Greg talking on hospitality. We have to
2: reprioritize hospitality as the extension of love. Because the love that we have is not just for ourselves. This love that we grow, it's for our neighbors. And because of this, the work of the Christian church in this world is not the work of excluding our neighbors, but in embracing them through the work of hospitality. I want you to think about how powerful this is in this age. Think about your open door. Think about your warm welcome. Think about the holiness of pulling up that extra chair, setting out that extra plate, filling that glass one more time going and finding those linens and put them on a bed. That is holy. That is holy. This is the work of hospitality. And I cannot imagine a more powerful protest against the tribal impulse of our own age than that. Welcoming those who are different than we are into our households and expressing love to them.
0: Again, that was Greg Thompson talking about hospitality from the Q Talk series on the six practices of the church. Along with hospitality, Greg explored the practices of understanding the context we're in, confession, identity, formation, and vocation. That full seven-part series is available as a subscriber to the Q Media platform at qideas.org. Well, I'm Paul Perot from Faith Radio. On behalf of Gabe and myself, thanks again for listening to this week's Q Ideas. We hope you join us again next time.